0: Welcome to Keepercast, the Keeper of Velocities podcast. I'm Sammy and I'm Ben. Um this is episode 16, um brought to you by Dex finally being happy. Yeah, he made it. It was a long journey, but he made it. Yep. He made it. We're not going to tell him what happens next.
1: Yeah. Well, he made it for a short time and that's what's really important. Um we're going to start with some
0: listener correspondence today. We Got a message on Instagram from Codalk123. It was a few questions. So the message said, Do you have any idea who Sophie's father is? I always thought it was Quinlan Sondan. Also, with the social classes, how are the hexes not a bad match? How rare are talentlesses
1: even? I mean, I can start with answering one of those questions, the one about the uh, hexes not being a bad match. Um, it's not directly stated within the books, but it's heavily implied that due to like how high-class uh, Stina's mother's family was, the heck side of the family, they were able to kind of pay off or convince the matchmakers that they weren't a bad match. And it was like, I believe, I can't remember what, it's Timkin who's the dad, I believe that Timkin was at like the very bottom of her mom's fifth matchmaking list, but they kind of like bribed their way into not being a bad match. Yeah, that seems
0: that seems right to me cuz I do remember like they were saying the whole thing was kind of shady. Um yes. Yeah, and how like and it was also related to how like Timkin was able to get into the nobility even though he was talentless, like it was sort of implied that um Stina's mom had and her family had something
1: to do with that as well. So, yeah. Corruption. Yeah. It's also this is one of the things from later on in the series, but um the Hexes are one of the first examples we get of the Keeper of the Lost Cities World not being a true patriarchy and where Timkin actually took his wife's last name.
0: Right, yeah, because he was Logner before. And yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of cool actually. I mean, like we don't like the hexes, but you know Shout out for being progressive, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah, in terms of, uh, some of the other questions that were
1: asked. I mean, the first question about her dad kind of gets into theorizing.
0: Yeah. And I'm bad at theories. Yeah, me too, actually. I mean, which is kind of funny, because, like, I do, I have so many of them. I have so many theories, but they're all just bad.
1: I must say, like, the one thing, like, I think that Quinlan is, like, a very interesting prospect, but I also think that he was so incredibly surprised about finding out with Olivia's involvement. And I also think that it would be very odd for him to have to have kept this secret of being Sophie's dad while simultaneously helping Alden track her down. That it's an interesting concept if he is, but it also just based on some of his actions, there's a justification that we're missing that we would need to actually make that click into place.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's pretty unlikely that Quinlan's her dad just because, like you said, like, it seemed like he really did have no idea about Livy or really have any involvement with the Black Swan at all. Um, but it would be interesting if that did happen. I, yeah, I really don't know. I don't have any, like, strong evidence towards one person or another for who Sophie's dad would be. I remember, I thought, I thought Fintan at one point. Um, at another point, I thought Elwyn. But really, those were all just going off of, like, I don't know,
1: just random thoughts. Male characters who have, like, a relationship with her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I it's a it's extremely unlikely, but, like, the idea of Kenrick and Orly being her biological parents is something that's very sweet. Like, just because we do know that Kenrick was, like, a telepath and they were in love but obviously couldn't act on it. So just, like, this idea that maybe they did have something together even if they didn't know it.
0: Yeah, oh, that would be really sweet. I, yeah, I forgot Kendrick was a telepath.
1: It's not brought up a whole much.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I think Mr. Forkle did say at one point that Sophie's they Yeah, they didn't know each other. Yeah, they didn't know each other, but, like, if we just disregard that, then I think if she was Kendrick and Worley's kid, that
1: would be, yeah, that would be really sweet. It would be cute. And then, I guess as the last part of this ask is, how rare are the talentless? And- The truth of that is that we have no clue, but it doesn't- it seems like they're rare? I mean, based
0: on, like, the- in terms of the characters we know, like, the proportion of talentless
1: to talented seems pretty tiny. And I'm even just thinking about it, because, like, of course this is- this is, like, we get into the debate of what the actual population of the Lost Cities is- well, not all the time, but, like, we talk about it, and- there is this thing where we have Exilium and Foxfire, and obviously, once a kid is determined as being talentless, they can't go to Foxfire anymore, but we also didn't hear about like an absurd amount of kids at Exilium who just didn't have patches on their robes. Like We didn't hear about a single person in Exilium, or at least Sophie didn't notice, and us, the audience, as she's the narrator, didn't see through her this absence of talentless kids, so we really have no clue. Oh yeah that's true oh that's a really good point, yeah, it's
0: like yeah i have I have no idea how how many talentless people there really are, but it does seem to be rare in any case,
1: yeah, I mean what who do we let's it's also weird because we've met three talentless people and they're all male, which it's just wait it's three? it's I think, because I'm thinking, it could be more, but I'm thinking Kessler, Timken, and Jerk, the caretaker for the alicorns right. at um, the sanctuary. There could be more, but those are just the. Th- oh, and then the alchemy teacher of Sophie's right. First year. Right, I was going to say, yeah, Lady Galvin, she's talentless too.
0: Yeah. So that's and I like think four. That's about. Yeah, that's four. Out of how many characters are there? Like a lot. Too many. <laughs> so yeah, not
1: not very common at least within the characters that we know, yeah, I mean, I think that about sums up that entire ask. do we wanna kind of move on to the first section of the chapters, yeah, sure, so, um, this week
0: we read chapters thirteen through twenty one um of everblaze, and there was there was a lot of stuff that happened in this chapter, um just starting from the beginning um we're seeing that like there's a lot of miscellaneous things that happen in the beginning um Sophie figures out that her like her wound from Brant isn't really a bruise it's something worse kind of burn like um that's that's she finds out about that more near the end of this section i thought right yeah it's like right she's been like sort of wondering about it cuz it's
1: been giving her trouble Throughout the whole section, and then, yeah. She's been kind of denying it's anything worse. Like, Sanders keeps on saying, like, hey, go to the healing center. And um, all Sophie's saying is, no, I've got a cream, it's the wrong cream, but I'm using it. But yeah, and then Elwin's like, mm, yeah, that's a burn. Yeah, but that's close to the end again. And even then, she's like, oh, it's not a burn, it's just something that I, you know, I accidentally put the wrong cream on it, and that's what made it bad.
0: Yeah, um... The Black Swan is being difficult.
1: Yeah. As as they were in these first three books. It's
0: true. Yeah, they're so very um, sometimes unnecessarily cryptic, I feel like.
1: I also, yeah. They were they were probably too cryptic at the beginning. <laughs> Another thing that I noticed that I just thought I'd bring up is that it's really funny, but these chapters the first chapter of our section today takes place about one hundred pages into the book, and one hundred pages into everblaze we're still recapping what's happened in the past two books, yeah, yeah, because so they were all talking about exile and stuff yeah, and this is something like this is something that actually happens a couple times in this section, and I guess it's kind of a trend in these earlier books that I'm kind of glad Peter's off in the later books, where like we're not having these recaps every time something new is mentioned that's in relationship to the earlier books.
0: Yeah, and I think like, because like we noticed that at the beginning, um, at the beginning of the book last week, um, that like there wasn't a whole lot of exposition dump at the beginning, but then now I just feel like it's just all coming now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> too late it's all here now no i think like well
0: in a way like it is a lot of exposition but i also feel like some of it's necessary especially since the books are coming out a year apart so like you need a little recap of but yeah it's kind of funny that it's just kind of like stuck in there pretty far into the book
1: yeah it's just like one paragraph like you're I think my main my main problem with it was just that if you're over like if you're over a quarter of the way into the book, chances are you remember enough of the last one to still be invested in it to get this far, right, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and then anyways, another thing that I uh, noticed in this first section that I just found funny was that um Sophie compares goblin feet. Okay, so the comparison given between elven feet and goblin feet is a lizard to a dinosaur. But there's a lot of size variety within a dinosaur's foot, and there's a lot of size variety within a lizard's foot. So th- that doesn't make things any clearer, really. <laughs>
0: yeah, specify which dinosaur that is.
1: Is it a T Rex's foot? Because in that case, Sanders' feet like take up her entire realm.
0: Right. <laughs> it's like, great. Now I'm imagining, like, because we know Sanders. Like seven feet tall, like something like that. He's not that much taller
1: than a full-grown elf, so I'm just imagining him with these giant feet. Yeah, they're like uh, they're like giant flippers that you wear in the pool, and he just flops them around all the time. <laughs> they're like clown shoes. Sanders' feet squeak every time he enters the room. He's not a very good bodyguard.
0: It's also really funny that you mentioned the the feet thing too, because. Now I'm just also just imagining, I realize it's a size comparison, but I'm also just imagining elves as
1: having lizard feet now. Yeah, like I've seen some really tiny lizard feet. Do elven feet just never grow? Like, are they are they baby feet for life?
0: It's like they're just, they're stuck there. It's like you're how your head doesn't grow, but like,
1: it's with your feet instead. <laughs> yeah, except it's baby feet. So I think that's just another list of comparisons that kind of makes sense, but also when you think about it, don't. Yeah, so going into the section we
0: have a bit at Foxfire, um, beyond and Dex's abilities get announced, um, which is very fun, and it's like, good for them,
1: yeah. Yeah! It's where Dex is happy. Yeah, when- Vianna and Dex's abilities are announced, like, truly that is one of those times where I feel so incredibly awful for Dex, just because what Sander did just was not cool.
0: Yeah, like, even though he was happy about it afterwards, like, because he was able to get classes and training and all that, and recognition and stuff, but, which is, like, good for Dex, right? But also, Sander, not cool to go behind his back like
1: that. Yep. I mean, I think, and we mentioned Dex being super happy with it, and I think that this is again one of those. I'm sure this will be um, discussed a lot more in later episodes of the podcast. Um, but like when Dex makes that circlet, this is just not exact. Well, yes, foreshadowing of just like how much Dex craves and wants that recognition that he was never given just because he was the son of a bad match.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I really felt that in this section because right, he was talking about how, like, how proud Kessler was of him, and I'm just like,
1: oh, oh no. And it was like, oh, the council's taking notice of me for once in my life. It's just kind of like, wow. it's like, oh no, no, run away. Yep, yeah, yep, they are taking notice of you, Dex, you're not wrong about that. I feel like if we didn't know
0: what was going to happen later, we'd just be so over the moon for Dex, and, like, I, I did like I did feel really proud of him to be honest. Like in this section, I love Dex, and I am glad that he's happy. But also, like, it's just knowing it's not good.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that I think that we should still be happy with him. There's no there's no reason not to be. If anything, it's like it's because what the council did, although it's a terrible punishment, does make logical sense for what. Sophie did. And it's an awful and a a cruel thing for them to do, but it tracks. Like, it makes sense. Like, oh, most of the problems have come from her abusing her abilities. Here we are having this way to take them away. And I think that a lot of that, a lot of the pain of that is that Dex was not tricked into it. Dex made it because it was something that he was encouraged into pursuing, but also that he was interested in pursuing. He was interested in looking at how abilities could affect, or how technology could affect abilities. Oh, and this, sorry, this is even more, but, like, I'm rereading Flashback right now, and we kind of see this continued with the idea of the enhancer restricting, which is really just the concept of the circlet, but put under Sophie's control.
0: Yeah, I think the whole, yeah, comparing the circlet to the like, the fingernails, right? I This is going, like, way into flashback, but it is really interesting just in, like, a character development way, I think, to see Dex's inventions kind of, and his gadgets sort of side by side over time.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, I think the fingernails themselves are Tinker's invention based off of Dex's creation, but Dex had the crush cuffs before that, of course. Had their... Whole
0: scene. Oh right, were the wait were the crush cuffs the ones that restricted the enhancing?
1: So what happened was that Dex made like a prototype version of the enhancer, like controllers, and that was in the form of crush cuffs. So if he was like, oh, I'm not sorry, I don't like you that way, and then you know they kissed, and they were like, yeah, we don't like each other that way, so let's not wear these. And then yeah, f in the chat. And then later on we see, I think. Because Dex and Sophie, Dex gives Sophie the crush-crufts in Nightfall, and then when we visit Tinker for the first time in Flashback, that's where we get to see the fingernail contraptions come in.
0: Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so in this section, um, oh, next we're going to um, Lady Cadence, whom I love, um, but the Silver Tower. And uh, in this place, Magnate Leto. He says you kids. He does. He does. Good for him.
1: Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say before we get into it that there was just one thing that I did want to mention was that uh, Sophie, Fitz, and Keith have a quick chat in the courtyard before classes start, and um, in that little chat we get... um, Kind of like a foreshadowing of Keith's ability to mimic when he copies the way that Fitz speaks. And Sophie describes it as copying it almost perfectly. So, like, we get this idea that Keith knows how to mimic before mimicking is even introduced to the series as a full on concept.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that too.
1: Yeah. And also, there was a line in that uh, conversation which is, You're my only hope from Keith, which I just put aside as, wow, Shannon's nerd side is coming in through strong. I mean, she references so many things. I mean, you would have to think about it because I'm sure everybody at some point has experienced that feeling where all your friends, usually in real life, just because you can find a larger community online, don't have the same interest as you, so you're just stuck constantly making your own references and picking up on these things in your own head, which must be what Sophie's trapped in constantly. That's true. Like...
0: Yeah, nobody here knows. No, none of the else know what Star Wars is,
1: right? Like <laughs> none of them know what like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, any of those huge franchises. Well, I guess Lord of the Rings isn't a franchise, but like huge cultural pop <laughs> references. Yeah, I wonder if Sophie ever
0: like wonders what she's missing out on in the human world, because like if we say that this takes place in the present day. Or, like, at the time that the first book came out, that was in, like, 2012, right? So, like,
1: I'm trying to do math in my head. It can't have been... It can't have been eight years. No, no. Like, Sophie was was 12 or 13 when she first joined, and now she's, like, 15-ish. So it's been, like, two or three years. So they're still in, like, 2015-ish. If they're in 2015, then,
0: like, things that came out during while Sophie was not there to experience them were like I, oh man I don't even remember the new star wars movies?
1: yeah the, the
0: beginning of the new star wars movie.
1: the first yeah. one um yeah the new the fantastic beast fantastic series. beast right um I know I'm just naming really popular movies at this point
0: yeah it's I because yeah I don't remember like what year things came out so
1: I have no idea uh yeah Wait, if we can't be responsible for memorizing all of this stuff. But yeah, the references in here are always fun. No. Anyways, yeah. Lady Cadence! I love her. I think we she's We really great. do. Yeah. I think that Lady Cadence is, like, one of the only characters in Keeper of the Lost Cities who actually has all her stuff together and does not need to go to therapy. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Like, she knows what she's doing... She would not attempt to read the Ogre King's mind.
1: Um, yeah, there's also... Like, she has a goal. She has a... She, ha- she has a job, and we know what we're doing. Like, when, when, I, when I read the name Lady Cadence in the book, I know we're gonna get into a part about ogres. Like, I know what you're about, girl. Like, she's actually working in her area of
0: expertise... I really liked her. It's it was kind of a monologue about what living with the ogres was like, and I because I think we haven't yeah we haven't really gotten like a glimpse into the other species yet um, in the book. So it was really cool for Lady Cadence to be like, no, actually, you know they're you know they're a lot at the risk of sounding cliche. You know they're a lot like us, and they have this these really
1: cool technology with enzymes, and um, we could actually learn from them. I think that Lady Cadence is. Perhaps, like, she's just a strong character in the series because we do have such a clear idea of her and her beliefs and her wants. Right, yeah, like, it's all very clear-cut. Like, because if we look at a bunch of the other characters in the series, like, I know have I know who Bront is, but I don't know really any of his motivations.
0: Right. That's true, actually. We don't... We aren't super well acquainted with, like, who he is as a person, I feel like. And with Lady Cadence, we get more of a sense of that.
1: And we slowly get more and more of these ideas and these motivations. But it's 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 slow going in the series. Mm-hmm. Well, it is a very long series. It is. It is so long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just getting longer. I know. When I... F- first read this series I had found I had found the books in my library one day and I saw I saw the first series I saw the first book I saw Exile and I had and I saw Everblaze and they were all nicely placed on the shelf next to each other and I picked them up because I was like oh it's a nice quick trilogy it's the middle of the summer I'll be done them in like three days perfect and that was at the time that Neverseen was out yet but Lodestar wasn't so I had read through them, and I was like, oh, so this series isn't done yet. It'll probably be a five-book series. So then I go and get Never Seen. I wait for Fall to roll around, I pick up Lodestar, and I'm like, wow, this is great, but also, this is way longer than I thought it would be.
0: Yeah, I actually, I started reading, um I started reading Codalk around the same time as you did, actually, between um, Seen and Lodestar. And I also remember thinking like, oh yeah, Lodestar is gonna be the last book, right? Cause looks like things are getting to, you know, a climax. And then I read Lodestar and I was like, huh, no.
1: Anyway, so we we went way far from Everblaze there. Yeah, that was that was a little <laughs> off topic, but it was it was good. <laughs> but uh, I guess the next section after Lady Cadence is the whole melting fingers off melting melting hands, yeah, fun times in the lost cities, um
0: <laughs> there's the whole yeah Aramark um situation
1: as as always with Shannon, I can only give a shout out for describing the the skin melting off of your hands as saying it looks like peach goo, which yes, all right, I, <laughs> it's like okay, I mean that's that's just how I read like Shannon's descriptions and react at this point, it's just like, huh, sure, why not? It's like sometimes, like, I get, like, how the comparisons
0: to stuff in the human world could be useful, because this is all, like, magic that doesn't exist here, but also, like, peach goo? I don't really see that, but
1: okay. If you say so. (laughs) It's, like... Peach goo could mean so many different things. That's I can't true. believe we're analyzing peach goo. <laughs> like it could mean like it could mean that you've literally just blowtorched a peach. Or it could be like you're eating canned peaches and it's the little liquid that it sits in. Right. Or it could be like
0: I don't know, like peach colored goo or peach jello. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's there's a lot of peach goo's out there. Be more specific.
0: Yeah, so some skin gets melted off because the Aromark, which is an, like the an ochre enzyme, right, that can act as
1: like a tracker or a homing device. Um, yeah, no, it's, so, I can't remember what the other one was, I think essence seal makes it glow green, and that's what Lady Cadence's necklace has on it, and that's a tracker, and then Aeromark glows red, and this is right, a homing yeah. device. Yeah, so there's two different types
0: of the enzyme,
1: and... And then as we go on further in the series, we learn that there's more.
0: Right, And yeah. um, So, yeah, uh, it's not very fun times, because the only way to get it off is to melt off your skin, and so, yeah, that happens and they do that. Uh, and then they also have to go and do the same thing to Sylvany. Poor Sylvany. I feel so bad for her. Yeah,
1: I also, but I think, I think what was really great about that scene with Sylvany again is that we get these class differences kind of not illuminated but shown through the way that once again Jurek, the sanctuary keeper of the alicorns, interacts with a member of the council. Right, yeah. Uh,
0: Something not directly related to Aramark, but like in this, in that general area, um, was that at the sanctuary when Tarek takes a reading of Sophie, when he reads her potential. Um, I thought it was interesting. Oh, and he, yeah, yeah, that he he said that um, she felt quote divided, and then he just didn't explain what that meant.
1: I think that's back in like book one or book two, and in this book, he does a secret reading of Keith.
0: Wait, that was Keith, not Sophie.
1: Yeah, he did a reading of oh, Keith wow. because he already did a reading of Sophie. Okay. in Okay, previous- no
0: thoughts, head
1: empty. So yeah, that's a reading of Keith. Then. <laughs> yeah no, but that was really interesting though, because he he states in the book that um Keith has more potential for bad than Sophie does, which is interesting because it also indirectly states that just based on like the candidate we've established for the ability that Keith in general has as much if not more potential than Sophie
0: right, yeah, like potential for for bad or to well, yeah, in this case bad yeah
1: i think sometimes shannon herself was not sure how an ability works so she just makes the character say it's super confusing and just lets us agree that it's very confusing
0: yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah i think it's it's interesting and almost kind of a bit of foreshadowing given like what we know what happens regarding keith and like the never seen the lodestar initiative and give and like looking at his if we're if yeah looking at his potential for doing evil
1: and seeing it sort of play out and I think there's I think there's this very interesting idea too that it's more of just like a theoretical question but um we have this as Tarek speaks this idea that um potential is useless unless acted upon it so my question is Sophie has acted on a lot of her potential not all of it but like She's had a lot of potential and she's made a lot out of it. Would her readings be different now that she's acted upon her potential, whereas before when she was just kind of waiting to see what happens?
0: That is really interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I think it'd be really cool to see, like, to have Tarek do another reading of her now and see if anything's changed.
1: Yeah. Like, it also raises the question, like, how fluid of a thing is potential? How does it change? How does it shift?
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I feel like, I mean, again, this is just like me speculating on things, but I feel like the more decisions Sophie makes and, you know, the more, like you said, she acts on her potential, that means that she's sort of setting herself more on this path and then there's no longer the potential to go on that other path. Um, so I feel like that would shift her potential one way or another, but yeah, I'm not sure like what direction
1: she's going. And that, I guess that raises another question because you were thinking about this in a way, in an entire way that I wasn't thinking. I was thinking about potential as like a greater thing like how much of a potential do you have to make an impact whereas you saw it more as like ooh, how many potential paths do you have to go down in life and that's super interesting too what kind of potential are we measuring
0: oh yeah that's that's really interesting because i wasn't i wasn't thinking of potential at all in in the way that you were but that is also like a totally valid definition for potential so
1: yeah that's cool Describers are confusing <laughs> Pretty much to quote the books, <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of jumping back again, um, jumping back a bit to f- back backwards in time to Foxfire because I realized that I missed this. But um, there's a line in here that we kind of didn't talk about that is the catalyst for many theories in the fandom, which is the one line we get about Mister Forkle looking super conflicted and regretful when Sophie asks him if he oh, has yes. a wife or Magnate Leto. Yeah, so. I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that?
0: I do have theories on that line. Um, again, I don't think the theories are any good. <laughs> um, but to be honest, I haven't thought about that line a lot recently. Um, just because I feel like it wasn't—it hasn't been brought up in the more recent books. But a theory that I had a few years ago um, was that his wife had um that he had had a wife but then she had died in like either through everblaze or something related to fintan or the never seen um and then that's that was kind of the thing that like set him on the path to creating the black swan um
1: so yeah yeah i think that may my main ideas for this is either that these could be actually combined two into one, but like the two ideas that I had were either that A, Mr. Forkle, or Magnate Leader, or whatever you would like to call him, did have someone that he loved, but could not pursue just because of the complexity of his life and having to live a double life as a twin, and that means that he just, like, they were both, like, it was, it's kind of like Kenrick and Orley. they were both in love, but due to other situations in their life, they could not pursue it. Um, and then the other main idea I had was that, like, one of the Forkles fell in love with a human, and that relationship wouldn't work for obvious reasons, but it would be just really interesting to, like, having this idea of, like, oh, this could tell us why that he is, why he is a sympathetic character towards humans, and not only against elves, because he is a twin, and obviously the elves have a very oppressive society.
0: Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Because he did, like... He did spend a lot of time in the Forbidden Cities, like, especially as like. He was like Sophie's mom's doctor, right? So.
1: Yeah, that would. Oh, that would be cool. And I mean, this could have happened, like, um, a lot. I'm just. Sorry, I'm Googling on my computer, how old is Norse mythology? <laughs> yeah, he's so, like thousands of years old, right? Yeah, so. The Scandinavian Iron Age began began around five hundred to two five hundred to four hundred BCE, which means that he's been around for a super long time. Oh wait,
0: I'm actually I'm actually googling this now. Did did Loki have a wife? Because he was his like the human legends of Loki were based around him, oh, right? Him.
1: Loki, I mean, he's a god, let's be real. He probably dated <laughs> yeah. many people. Of course, that horse being one of the um, more notable <laughs> ones.
0: Uh, but, um, yeah, so Google says he Loki did have a wife named Sigin. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I I can't really find, like, anything else on that. And I guess this kind of...
1: Yeah, no, because the entire mythology was that as Loki was chained to the rock and had the acid dripping on his face, his wife would be there every day holding a bowl above it so that the acid didn't drop him in the eye. And the only times that Loki would actually get the acid in his eye was when she would go to empty out the bowl. But um, there, there is this really funny quote that I'm seeing now on um, Sigyn's Wikipedia article, which is, Sigin, Old Norse for Victorious Girlfriend. Victorious Girlfriend? i love that so there you go maybe maybe not do we have any more conclusions nope here you go some norse mythology trivia but yeah that's that's always been a really interesting question which maybe we'll get resolved one day but maybe we won't i hope we do though i hope i have so many questions i hope as many of them get resolved as possible yeah and just and just to ask more questions um there was another line that stood out to me during this section where Sophie talks to Magnate Lido for a bit, where he mentions he would he would organize the younger grades of Foxfire with a heavier hand. Now, this led me to ask, Sophie and her friends obviously don't really attend school anymore, but what changes has Magnate Lido made to that, if any? Oh, yeah, that's interesting yeah I, yeah
0: that would be cool to to sort to see how that would work, yeah
1: I don't know, and he could have just not made any changes because obviously it's a lot harder to be two people and like reorganizing an entire school is hard, but this has shown as something that he is interested in in everblaze, which is just like huh did he yeah i'd be I'd be interested to see like
0: even some of the smaller changes just that like he's been making around Foxfire because, I mean, I I guess that he's probably been changing some things at least that aren't like, he, yeah. He,
1: he must have
0: at some point. Right, yeah. Like, especially since he's he's already talking about like possible changes in Everblaze, I think by by legacy, he probably would have put some of those into action, even if he's very busy leading
1: his double, triple life. No, but I also think just rereading some of the, like, newer books is really fun because I haven't read them, like, since they came out. And when I did read them when they came out, like, I read them all within, like, two hours of release. (laughs) Yeah. Right, so fast. Like, there was one time, I think this is probably when I got Nightfall, where I had got it after coming home from the swimming pool, and I had lost one of my contact lenses in the pool. So I read like a quarter of the book half blind as we drove home. (laughs) Yeah, no, what I was just going to mention is that there is, of course, we see this is going back to the scene with Lady Cadence, where she makes a comment about how Sophie dropped alchemy. And that just that just got me thinking about it once again, where Sophie is just allowed out of alchemy, even though it seems like a basic principle of the elven world I'm like i get that she failed it but usually when you fail a course it is isn't. oh yeah it's not like oh you finished science you failed science 10 but you're really good at law okay you never have to pass that just go straight into law 12 it just seemed like something that would be necessary
0: yeah it's like you can't just like drop out of math cuz you're not
1: good at it. No, like you can like you can take the courses that are less math inten- math intensive like I know like at my school it's kind of, it's called kind of like you can go into like pre-calculus and stuff or you can go into what they call like foundations of math if math just isn't your thing. But you can't just drop out of it completely cuz you fail it in like grade 8. Especially cuz like like you said like alchemy seems
0: like it's not, just, it's not a niche subject, it's like something that seems very important, very integral to a lot of things uh, in elven society.
1: It seems, yeah, it seems to be like, it seems to be their main source of science, unless you're a technopath, because like the only the other thing that I could think of that would be vaguely scientific is elementalism, but it is made clear in the series that elementalism thing is just a dumb, rich like it's like this is stupid, but if you're rich, you should know it,
0: right? Like, yeah. What is does I don't, does elementalism actually do anything functional? Because it's just like bottling weather. But what do
1: you do with it? I think the, I think that where it's come in handy is that I guess, you can bottle like the one thing I can think of is like bottling the light from the, um, the map stars to jump through. Like, that was that was alchemy, but also that was, like, an astronomy assignment that made her do that, so I could just be way off my rocker. But yeah, it seems like alchemy's important, and Sophie should probably be taking it. Yeah, but then again, we can say that for most of her courses at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Oh, and then another uh, note I had for the end of the chapter was, um, give me that soft Sophiana content that we got back in Everblaze and never seen. Yes. Oh my god, yes. I actually, I I copied down
0: the line, she would never be as beautiful as Diana, yeah. Like, yeah,
1: that's so funny. And
0: I was care? like, it's just like,
1: oh my, like, just rereading through like Everblaze and never seen, you're like, wow, these two actually hung out and had conversations about their lives outside of like, battling the black swan. And like, Diana was like, Trying to, like, actively going to, like, help and support Sophie. And Sophie was actually including her in her plans. And it was like, wow. Yeah. And it's
0: like, yeah, like, the section, they were they were friends. And Bianna was, they were both just, like, genuinely really happy and comfortable around each other.
1: Yeah. And Bianna was just like, hey, I want to help you. And Sophie was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to put more people in danger. And Bianna was like, yeah, but I'm pretty cool. Anyways, I missed them. Yeah. And then of course Dex gives Sophie the emergency ring later this chapter. Honestly, that ring has been probably one of Dex's most so helpful, helpful inventions like ever. Like I'm thinking about it, like it's it's strange when something from a previous book comes up in a future book, but I I'm, I'm rereading flashback and first 5 chapters in that emergency ring saved Sophie's life. Right. I'm pretty sure they actually use it in
0: every book or almost every book. Like, it just, it's Chekhov's boomerang. It just yeah. comes back over and over again.
1: It's it's done its job well. <laughs> good job, <Yeah>. Dex.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good
1: for Dex. Yeah, and then this is a question I had because obviously we have this scene where Keith doesn't know why he finds the ogre enzyme on his hand again. So, but he has to go back and, to the school and get it melted off after they visit the sanctuary. But then there's this throwaway line kind of later in the book where Keith mentions that his mom was actually concerned about him coming home after the ogre enzyme. And I just wondered, like, what's the motivation behind that? I don't know, because obviously Gisela knows how that arrow mark got there. It was her doing. Like, she was the one who gave Keith her, the family pin, which is what had the arrow mark on it. But she's also showing concern for his mental health, which is unlike Keith's parents.
0: Yeah, that's um new and refreshing. There was also another um throwaway line uh in at the very end of this section where um Fitz was talking with Sophie about like about Alden and going on those missions to the Forbidden Cities and he says I was the guy who kept disappearing
1: i I marked that one down as well because it's a really insightful moment for fitz's character yeah yeah d- definitely
0: and also I couldn't help but think like it is also a bit of foreshadowing because
1: it sounds a lot like the boy who disappeared which turned out to be Alvar yeah no that's that's really interesting too I mostly had it pinned as the fact because like I feel like it is something that we kind of tend to forget, or is less present, is that Fitz, the only reason that he was ever popular or ever well-liked or ever any of that stuff was because of the Vacker family name. So no wonder he doesn't want to give that up. Right, yeah. Like,
0: yeah, it was just a really good moment that sort of, yeah, it helped us see into Fitz's character a bit more in sort of his side
1: of it. Yeah, we're getting so many good lines in Everblaze. Like, it was just a really good book. It's like, we're just going through it, and it's like, here's a throwaway line that actually tells you stuff about the character and is insightful. Yeah, no, Everblaze was a great book.
0: I'm I'm really enjoying this reread of it.
1: Mm-hmm. No, because I've been going through, like, all of them for the recap posts I've been doing, and Everblaze, so far, I think I've got I'm halfway through Flashback, and I've just got Legacy left, but so far, Everblaze has been top three in the series. Yeah. I also think, like, just in my mind, it's also kind of, like, for me, Everblaze and Never Seen, Lodestar are kind of, like, at the peak nostalgia time for me in the series as well. Like, Lodestar was the first book I had to wait for. Never Seen was the first book I actually had to go out and buy for myself, and Everblaze was kind of, like, that book that left me hanging on the edge and was like, oh, now I have to go get the next one. And then, I don't know, I just kind of had one less comment I wanted to make on this section still going around Fitz. And that when Sophie chooses Fitz to be her guide, that's kind of like, especially since we know that Kirjan is actually a member of the Black Swans Council, like, that's a big step in proving that they're suitable for being cognates. I mean, I think that the cognate foreshadowing has seen been seen before, but, like, I think this is really, like, I think it's a very interesting piece where it's just kind of like, oh, they're shown to be working as a team, they are working well as a team, and Sophie is trusting him to do big things with her. I, yeah, who doesn't miss Old Fitz? <laughs> I miss Old Fitz so much. I think yeah. we all do. Yeah, he was just, he was charming, he was nice, he was helpful. It was just, he was just—he was just I, a great, yeah. I mean, like, don't
0: get me wrong. Like, I still I like New Fitz as a character. I think he's an interesting. I think he's a more interesting character now. But like, as a person, as someone I'd want to hang out with, I love Old Fitz. Yeah, like, just go
1: back to the way you were before. And I mean, like, part of that could just also be said for like, growing growing up. You have to change. You become more complex. Yeah, Old Fitz please come back. That being said, I'm also incredibly excited to see inter We've seen we've seen inter character like conflict between Sophie and Fitz before, but that was when like Fitz lost his dad, so obviously a very different situation from now where they are having opposite and clashing opinions, so I'm really excited to see that in the next book too. Yeah, very excited all in all I'm I'm really interested in what unlocked is actually gonna be like yeah same because
0: like I have no idea what they're gonna talk what they're gonna be like what ki- what what
1: keeps POV is gonna be like either I just because I could see like I could see like what one of my main questions is is unlocked gonna be crucial to read to know about the rest of the series because at first I didn't think it would be that way but the more we hear about unlocked it's sounding less like an eight point five, and more like, and more like a, a nine. Nine, yeah. So, I guess we'll see. And I know I saw some people mentioning this morning that we are only now a few weeks away from the um, unnoted edition of Keeper One coming out. Exciting! Yeah, I'm very excited to
0: to see that and see what's what's in it. I guess we'll share social media. So um, you can find me at Mallow Melting on Tumblr and Instagram.
1: I'm Everglenn Havenfield on Tumblr and also this month I know this will be coming up at around or being posted around um, June seventh. But I'm running the Keeper of the Lost Cities Pride account, or I'm one of the uh, one of the mods for the Keeper of the Lost Cities Pride accounts on Tumblr this uh, year. So that's KOTLC Pride 2020. And, yeah, come check it out. We're just reblogging all the awesome LGBTQ plus content for the series. Oh, that's so exciting. I'll have to check it out.
0: And, um, yeah, if you want to follow... Keepercast or send a message. Um, we're keepercast on Tumblr and the Keepercast
1: on Instagram. And this has been happening for the past couple weeks, but we also have transcripts going up. So along with each episode per Saturday, um, we'll be uploading one transcript of a previous episode to the Link Tree in our bio on both social media platforms.
0: Yeah, and Ben has been like totally great in terms of putting together the
1: transcript. So I just wanna say that here. You're awesome. Thank you. And thank you to everybody else who helps work on it. It's a, it's a lot of writing, it's a lot of typing, and it's a lot of time spent listening. So thank you to everybody who's putting all the work in.
0: All right. Um, that's about it. So this has been KeeperCast. Um, see you next week. <laughs>